0: 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, 6. For I have already been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Father, thank you so much for uh, this great truth. Thank you for the legacy of the Apostle Paul. and Thank you, Father, that we have a model. And We praise you, and uh, again, just thank you that you've promised to uh, illuminate your word to us, even tonight. And we uh, would ask with confidence that your Spirit would do this very work in us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. amen. You may be seated. If you recall, we uh, worked our way through uh, the book of jo- uh, Job, roughly uh, about 18 months' worth in Job. Um, one of the wisdom books, and if you were to ask most people what is the purpose or what is the main theme of Job, it is suffering, and that certainly is true, is that there is uh, the, the truth of how to, how to suffer well. Uh, but Job has so much more, as we saw, in regards to that. Being one of the wisdom books, like Ecclesiastes, it provides a real... Uh, crystal clear look at what life is all about. And he would say in Job 14 verse 1, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. And so from Job we can get uh, the truth of the brevity of life. When you're young and there are some of you who fit that category tonight, uh, when you are young you don't think that way. Um, but as life goes on, you start, and I hope you start thinking more about the brevity of life. One of the uh, privileges and challenges we've had is with my father living with us, and um, he just had his 89th birthday, and we were uh, sitting around, as we do, we, we talk about things uh, growing up, we go down memory lane a lot, and it's, uh, it, it always comes to the conclusion of, of where did life go, is life went by so fast. And life does go by very fast. Marley was up here uh, this evening, and we were talking. And I said, Marley, I said, do you know that, uh, that you're writing a book? And she just kind of looked at me, and I expected that. I said, you know you're writing a book? And, uh, and I said, yes. I said, you're writing a book. Every day, you're writing a book of your life. And it'll be read twice. It'll be read at the judgment seat of Christ, and it'll be read at your funeral. And that is so true, is that for all of us, we are writing a Legacy. Uh, Every day we write a legacy. Uh, The determination of the legacy uh, is really one of quality. It's not if, it's the quality of your legacy. Is it going to be a lasting legacy, or is it going to be just one? I said this before, and, and I'll share it with you again. It was so sad. You know, I, I do have um, a reputation around town of, uh, of doing funerals. And so and that's a ministry of our church. We do funerals to a, a lot of people uh, for the sake of, uh, of providing a service and, and comfort to those who otherwise don't have a church home. And I remember doing one funeral in a, in a funeral home itself, the chapel, and the place was packed. And uh, I'd met with the family, which is the custom, met with the family, talked to them. Uh, it was clear that there was no believers in this family. It was, um, uh, it was sad. It was very sad. Um, and, and so I'm there, and as the custom, give a chance for people to want to say something about the loved one uh, by way of encouragement, by way of legacy. One, uh, I opened the floor, and it was just eerie silent. There was nobody. And then one guy come up from the left, and he walked up. And he stood there, and I nodded at him, and he walked over, and he got by the podium, and this is what he said. He was a good golfer. And he turned around, and he walked away. That was what his legacy was. I thought, how sad, how sad to live that life, 80-some years, and one of your so-called best friends says that you were a good golfer. And I hope that we uh, take time to think about the brevity of life, it's never too. It's never too young to start thinking about that because you know not though your days are numbered, you know not what that number is, and though you is, it is appointed unto man when to die, you don't know when that appointment is. And so, legacy becomes a very important aspect of our life—the legacy that we're writing every day, that we are indeed uh, writing something that's going to outlast us. William James has said this quote the great use of life is to spend it for something that outlasts it in quote. And so I want us to look at a legacy, writing a god honored or a Christ honoring legacy tonight. The apostle Paul in writing his last letter before he would go by way of his reward, uh, he says in verse 7 these three aspects of a good legacy. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And in order for us to do that, in order for us to walk in a manner that will ensure that when we see the Lord Jesus, we will hear, "Well done, good and faithful servant." It's important that we understand that this is the whole of the Christian life. The whole of the Christian life is one of warfare. It's one of fight. It's a constant. It's, there's never a ceasefire. There is a, ever, there's never a negotiation of the hostilities. There's none or any of that. You, now, you will have some periods of time where it's not as intense, but overall, you will always be in a state of warfare. And um, when you remember Jesus in the temptation of the wilderness, Luke would record that the devil left him for an opportune time, meaning that uh, he would be back. And so we have to get it settled in our mind that life this side of heaven is one of constant warfare. It's a warfare without, and it's a warfare within. It's the Romans 7. It's the constant struggle that we have against our own remaining uh, body of sin as well as the devil and the world. Unless we're armed with this thought that every day is a war, a war in the spiritual realm, then as John Owen would once say, if you're not aware of the war, you are defeated in the war. And so there's an awareness that this must grip us. And secondly, we must understand that the Christian life is a race. It's a race. Uh, it's not a hundred-yard dash. It's a marathon. And it requires a, mar- a marathon mentality in order to do this. And the third thing that we see about the Christian life, it is one, that's live by faith. And Paul would say, I kept the faith. And that requires from us an aggressiveness. An aggressiveness. Uh, most of you struggle tonight, as I mentioned this morning, most of you, to include me into you, that your problems is not sins of commission. You're not going out and commit heinous sin. Your biggest tr- problems in life is sins of omission. It's sins of omission. And so we'll look at what this means to keep the faith so that we'll write a God-honoring, Christ-honoring legacy so that whenever your memorial is held or you stand before the Lord Jesus, uh, we will with confidence be able to say, I have, I have uh, fought the good fight. I have uh, run the race. I've kept the faith. And the first thing we want to look at then is where Paul says, I have fought the good fight a good fight. Now, in order, and I want to use some just my experience, my, in my, my other life uh, in, in the military, is that the whole of, of, a, of a war fighting uh, unit, or in my case, a war fighting uh, ship, or in Captain Carter's case, a war fighting squadron, or some of you other who's been in the military, a war fighting squadron, whatever you army guys do, Tom, I don't know, uh, but the reality of it here is that it requires a posture, It requires a posture. And I want us to look at this, fighting the good fight, I want to look at it from three perspectives. There must be a watchful posture, there must be a defensive posture, and there must be an armed posture. Now, in order for us to fight this good fight, which truly it is against the devil, we must assume this posture. We must assume this posture. And the first one is that of a watchful posture. A watchful posture. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, Jesus would say, watch and pray. We will find numerous times in the scripture that the command to watch is attached to the word pray or to the disciplines of prayer. Paul would tell the Colossians, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Watchfulness and prayer form the Christian's entrenchment is that these are the lines our enemy cannot break. A watchfulness without prayer is a watchfulness in the strength of self, and that never will hold up against the craftiness of the devil, the world, or even our flesh. Jesus in Luke 21, verse 34, would say, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake, or watch at all times, praying. So when you're called to watch, and this is a watchfulness against the different schemes and the methods and the, uh, the devices of the evil one, the world and the flesh, it requires a vigilance, it requires that you're always on guard. You know what the penalty is in warfare if you fall asleep on watch? It's death. That's what it is. It's it's, his death. Um, When when a ship commissions and it comes into commission, I I had the privilege of being on a commissioned ship uh, to to construct a brand new ship. I remember reporting to Bath, Maine, to the shipyard. And I said, I'm uh, I'm part of the nucleus crew for the USS Kaufman, uh, FFG-59. Where's my ship? And and they said, it's over there. And I'm I'm looking into an empty dry dock is that the ship was being built, brand new, brand... And so when we commissioned the ship, some 14 months later, when we commissioned the ship, um, we set the watch. And when a watch is set on a ship, it never stops until the ship is decommissioned. That means for 25 years, around the clock, 24-7, there's always watch standards on that ship. Whether in port or at sea, there's always a watch. I remember in port that we would stand uh, rover watches as well as quarterdeck watches. As a junior sailor, I did some rover watches. A rover watch is someone they stand a four-hour watch and they walk through every space of the ship, and they always check for security. They check for fires. They check for it's a it's it demands a vigilance and you have a checklist that you have to go through on every part of the ship that you walk through. So you have a four-hour watch and you're required to be alert whether it's the quarter deck or, like I say, the rover. Um, It also requires a watchful posture during times of heightened warfare, of heightened warfare. Uh, Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, Paul would say, Therefore be careful how you walk or watch how you walk, not as unwise men but as wise, making the most of your time. And then he would say this, because the days are evil. And in Ephesians chapter 6, we're told to stand in the evil day. There are some days that are more evil than others. There are some days that hostilities are more uh, and more advanced. And so it means that you have to add an additional diligence to your watch standing. Uh, it could be... Um, um, The pressures at home have ramped up in your life. It could be um, the pressures at job or or whatever. There could be a heightened period that requires you to be watchful. And remember this, if you're going to write a legacy, a legacy is what other people are observing. It's what other people think you are by what they see of you. And when you stand here and you hear testimonies of people that have passed on, all the funerals we've done for our dear saints that have gone by the the way, you hear the impact that they had based on an observed life. And so you have to be on watch, not just for your own spiritual health, but you have to be on watch because of all the other people, and in particular little people perhaps in your home that are watching you. Is that there's far more that's going to be caught by observation than there is by proclamation. And so make sure that you understand that you have to constantly be on watch, that there's never a time, never a day that you can get off a watch. And I know that there were, um, there were times uh, in coming into Newport. We would come into Newport on my ship, and uh, this place, when it gets foggy in Narragansett Bay, it gets really foggy. I mean, you can't see. And I remember coming in a couple of times, you couldn't see 10 feet, and we're coming in uh, to, this, uh, to the harbor And we would post low-visibility lookouts. In addition to the four lookouts we had normally, we would add additional lookouts uh, on the folks of the ship to allow for an additional watchfulness of the ship uh, during hazardous navigation. It's the same thing in the Christian life. If you're going to write a legacy, if you're going to fight the good fight, you have to have a watchful posture. You have to be on constant guard against anything that would cause you not to be watchful, that would cause you to put a dent in your legacy. Now, if you have had a dent in your legacy, praise God that Lamentations is still there. Is it every day his mercies are new and you can start every day writing a new legacy. And so the first thing, and if we're going to fight the good fight, is you must assume a watchful posture. Now, the one thing about watch standing, it's exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. And in your fight of fight, in your fight of the good fight, it's going to exhaust the very marrow of your bones. That's the nature of the spiritual life. It will require a vigilance that is exhausting. There's never a time when you're at rest, so thus you're going to have that spiritual periods of spiritual exhaustion because of the watchfulness. That's where um, the life of prayer, that's why he would say watch in prayer. Prayer is not just for God to give you something. It's also to rejuvenate you. It's also to bring you strength. It's also to bring his joy into your life that Nehemiah 8, 10 says is your strength. So that's the first thing. If we're going to fight the good fight and write a legacy, there must be a watchful uh, uh, posture. Secondly, there must be a defensive posture. A defensive posture. You'll find in the Christian life that we are never called to go after the devil. We are never called to go after our foes. We are called to take a stand. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. First Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. As I mentioned, we're not called to an offensive posture, but to a defensive, so that we react to the attacks. We don't go on the attacking. It's like one of the missions of the Navy is freedom of navigation. Around the world, we travel around to ensure freedom of navigation. Why is all that happening? Why are we shooting down these Aegis cruisers, these Aegis destroyers, on almost a daily basis, shooting down these Houthi these, uh, drones? Why are they doing that? For safety of navigation. They're ensuring the freedom of navigation through that very, very narrow uh, straits there by uh, the Gulf of Aden. And so even though uh, we, had, uh, we have offensive uh, firepower, and though we had the capability at sea uh, to make small work of those countries, is the fact is we're not an offensive organization. We're defensive. Um, and so in the Christian life, uh, we are called to uh, a life of defense, to be on defense, to put on all of the armor of God so that we would stand, we would withstand a legacy is built not on aggressive offensive warfare. It's built on perseverance and withstanding attacks. Is that you will, you will leave your mark on your family, on your church, and in your, in your community, in your workplace, by taking a stand, by taking a, an uncompromising stand for truth. That will build a legacy, and there will be people that will not like what you do, but in the long run, you will have stood as a man or a woman of conviction, a man or woman of truth, and that will rule the day on your day of judgment as well as at your memorial. So there is a defensive posture. Those are the two that we are to assume as warriors. As those who are going to fight the good fight and leave a good legacy for all who have observed us. And the final one under this heading is: it must be an armed posture, an armed posture. Now, when I say armed posture, uh, that means that you must know your enemy's strengths. You must know your enemy's tactics. Is a in Ephesians chapter six, verse eleven. Paul would write, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the methods of the devil. Schemes, the word actually means a systematic, organized way of doing things. The devil is methodical. The devil is not just throwing it out there to the wind. He's very crafty. Uh, he he deceived our parents when they were innocent. And so he went after Jesus in a very methodical way. The the, the the flesh, pride, and so forth. So the devil has schemes. Do you know the devil's schemes? Are you are you armed with uh, the knowledge of his ways of dealing with you? I'm not saying get fixed with the devil, but we should have read and and, and be armed with knowledge of the how he does business. He's been at it with humans for over five thousand years, and so he knows human nature pretty pretty good. And so it behooves us. And there are great Way, there's a great books to read about that, ex- expositional books of, of, uh, of, of the Bible to teach us how to know the schemes of the devil. I believe that some of the Puritans wrote the best war- warfare books, Thomas Brooks, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's an exposition of, of Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, which shows us how the devil does business against God's people. And there's, there's other ones. Uh, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter two verse eleven, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Designs means his thoughts or his intentions. So the question then we ask as Christians: Are we knowledgeable of our of our foe? Do we know about the schemes or the designs of the devil? Getting back to the Navy. Um, before we would go in deployment, we would know what battle group we were assigned to, and the battle group would work together. We would spend six months to eight months all doing workups even before we deployed. And I remember that what we would do is we would send um, our electronic warfare technicians and some select operations specialists, guys who worked for me, we would send about 10 or 12 guys down to Virginia Beach, and they would go through um, um, combat training center down at Damneck and they would spend three weeks just going through threat assessment school. For eight hours a day, for three weeks, five days a week, all they do was study the places we were gone and the threats that we could encounter. And so that they would know, after all this, they would train themselves on missile matrices. They would train themselves on electronic warfare signatures. They would train themselves so that they would know when we went to these places what we could encounter. Uh, It was the same thing uh, when we got to see is that we had uh, classified uh, publications. One of my jobs was um, uh, the CMS, the uh, the classified material uh, custodian, one of those guys. And we had classified material that would tell us of tactics to use against certain enemy tactics. Uh, we were getting knowledgeable of our foe so that we could employ the proper offensive uh, tactic against them. It's the same way in the Christian life. You not only have to have a watchful p- uh, posture, being able to be alert, you also have to have a, a defensive posture, being able to stand against attacks, but you have to have an armed posture. You must know your enemy. And that means not only the tactics of the devil, you need to know your weaknesses. You need to know where you're extremely weak. For instance, maybe the Internet is something you can't can't go unguarded, or you, you can't do that all by yourself. That you need to have someone to hold you accountable to where you go on the web. Well, that might be a weakness to you. You might know that you can't do this, so you stay away from it. Uh, that's just one example. There's many. And so the question is, do you know what areas that you are prone to spiritual attack? Maybe it could be uh, that you have an anger issue. Uh, maybe you are, have a short fuse when it comes to patience. All these areas, you have to know your weaknesses so that you can lean on God's strengths. If we are to fight the good fight. So, that's how we fight the good fight and thus leave a legacy. We assume daily a watchful posture, a defensive posture, an armed posture. Now we move on to the second one, 4-7. He says, Paul says, I not I have fought the good fight, but I've finished the race. The Christian life is also a race. It also is a race. But as I said, it's not It's not a dash. It's not a dash. I used this illustration a long time ago, but uh, when I was working on this, I thought about that. Um, you know, baseball was my thing. I I loved playing baseball, and I'd got injured with a head injury, so I was I was laid aside one spring, um, and so I couldn't. And the doctor says you're not allowed to uh, any contact sports, and so we didn't have a track team in my high school, but we were going to have a track team that year, and so. We got, a, we got a track team. So I knew nothing about track. We had a coach who knew nothing about track, uh, but we were going to have a track team. And so we did. And I signed up for the long, the long run, the marathon runners. I signed up for that because I, I could do that. Uh, and so they let me do that, and I did that. And I, I was good. I was good in my school. Uh, no one else w- was very good. So I remember those weeks that we would practice and we'd make these long runs out in the country, and I was way far ahead of everyone. I thought, man, this is pretty easy. You know. And so we went to our first track meet, and it was with about eight other schools. Um, two of the runners, one runner was a state champion in a marathon. I don't, I don't know how long, maybe it was a two-mile run. I don't, know, I don't remember the distance, but it was like eight laps around the track. And so he was the state champ, and there was another guy that was in the top five. And so we're all lined up in the blocks, you know, and I, we'd never done that before, and I was lined up in that, and I was thinking, okay, I do pretty good at, at school. So, bam, the race is off, and I take off, and I take off, and I am way ahead of everyone. And I'm running around there, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking back, and I'm thinking, man, this is easy. And I'm running, and I'm ahead of everybody All the other seven runners were in my dust for the first three laps. And then I noticed something started happening to me. I started having this burning sensation, you know. And and I started seeing that the distance was starting to to get a little closer. And then the fourth lap went around, and I started seeing one by one, they all started blowing by me. And the state champ, I think he went by me like at 55 miles an hour. The guy was just blowing. (laughs) I finished last in the race. I did not train well. I did not know what the race was. I didn't know that you had to pace yourself. I didn't know that you had to condition yourself for the long haul. Friends, that's the Christian life. Too many young Christians, they get all zealous, and they're out there running a 100-yard dash, and then when they fall on their face, they don't get it. They don't get it. Or you get zealous for something in the Christian life, and that zeal, you mistake, you think it's spiritual when it's really emotional in the strength of flesh. Next thing you know, you're you're flat on your face, and you wonder how that happened. There's many legacies that have been damaged because you started well, but you didn't continue, and you didn't finish. And Paul would say this, I have ran the race. He knew that it was for the long haul. And what does it require? If you're going to run a race and you're going to you're going to finish well, well, I've labeled this uh, three things. One, you got to stay in shape. (laughs) You got to stay in shape. You got to remove hindrances, and you got to focus on the finish line. The first one is staying in shape, and there's three self self um, uh, applications: self-discipline, self-control, and self-denial. All three of those are required if you're going to run the race. You have to have the self-discipline. Paul says in 1 Corinthians nine twenty-seven. But I discipline my body to keep it under control, lest after preaching the other, uh, to others I myself should be disqualified. Now when you think about how many Christians have shipwrecked their faith because of lack of self-discipline, for instance, in sexual sin, or the self-discipline of just... Um, not having their, uh, their own spirit under control and they've damaged uh, people because of a loose tongue or a harsh tongue. Paul would say also uh, to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, uh, share in suffering as a good soldier. You can't get entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You know, one of the things that I so valued in the Navy is that it taught me. I had self-discipline growing up. I mean, I had parents who instilled that, but nothing like military life. You know, you can always, uh, you can wake up sometimes, you know, uh, and say, well, I just don't feel like it. I don't want to do this. And you can get away with that. It doesn't happen in the military. Uh, No, you you don't do that. You don't wake up on the day that you're supposed to get on your ship and go away for seven months. You don't look at your wife and say, just call in for me. Just tell him I'm not going to make it. Paul would say a good soldier disciplines himself, an athlete disciplines himself, and a hardworking farmer disciplines himself. And in order to develop self-discipline, you cannot look for the immediate results. You cannot look for the immediate results. In fact, don't look for results. A legacy is to be read at your funeral, and it's to be set at the judgment seat of Christ. Those are future dates. Don't worry about that. Worry about writing the legacy, and then those will take care of themselves. It's important that you understand that self-discipline requires you to train. It requires you to train. It's a constant training, and training can be dull, and training can be boring, and training can be just, you don't want to do this anymore. We, whether when we did fire drills all the time on the ship, import we'd send our fire teams out to fire school. And fire school, they would light up these buildings and they'd put it out. I used I went to one flooding. Uh, we sent a flooding team or fire. Our fire uh, team was also a flooding team. And so I remember going out and dressing out with the fire team. I didn't like that. I didn't like wearing all the gear. And um, and so we went into one and they actually flooded a compartment. Where this, this compartment is, is rising with water, and you're in it, and they said, Okay, stop the, stop the flooding. Well, okay, the guys are scrambling around trying to s- plug this hole, and all you do is you see this water just rising up on you. I'm sure they wouldn't gonna let us drown, but nevertheless, we went over that, over that, over that, more and more and more, so that we become reflective when we went to see if you had flooding issues. We had a ship in, the, uh, in Newport, a sister ship of mine. Mine was uh, FFG 59, Fast Frigate 59. Uh, one of the other frigates there, I think it was uh, Samuel Roberts, FFG 56. Uh, she hit a mine in the, in, the, uh, um, in, the, in the Gulf, in the Arabian Gulf. She hit a mine. And I knew the master chief on that ship. And he said... That if it wasn't for our training and our training in in, in the ability to respond to flooding, the ship would have sunk. Friends, it takes discipline. And discipline is hard because it's not fun. Because discipline leads to the next thing you have to have if you're going to run the race. You have to have self-control. You have to be willing to practice. You have to be willing to train even when you don't feel like it. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That's a pretty graphic picture that Solomon would paint. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That means it's defenseless. I know that you've probably read uh, Pilgrim's Progress, um, John Bunyan, but maybe you haven't read his second allegory, that is Holy War. Now, holy war, it's, it's a little bit more, it's more difficult to read than Pilgrim's Progress. But it is a, f- is a fabulous picture of, of the spiritual warfare that a Christian would fight. Now, the, the holy war is centered around uh, man's soul. Man's soul is us. We're the prize. And the devil is Diabolus. And Elsa King Shaddai is, the, is Jesus. And Mansoul soul was made for the inhabitants of King Shaddai. Well, Diabolus, Diabolus wants to capture Mansoul. And so what does Diabolus do? He he gets his his cohorts together and they attack Mansoul. Do you know the first casualty of Mansoul? The first casualty was Captain Resistance. Because when resistance was captured, Proverbs says, it's like a city broken into. And that's when resistance was wore down because of self, lack of self-discipline, lack of self-control, is, is now Mansoul is overcome by, by Diabolus, and King Shaddai has to go to extreme measures to win Mansoul back. It's like in the Christian life, if we're going to run the race, remember, it's not a marathon. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not a dash. Secondly, you must have self-discipline. You must train yourself. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that brings us salvation... Uh, having trained us or disciplined us. Saving grace is training grace. And the Christian, when we are saved, we begin the school of, of training. We begin the school of discipleship. And, and part of that is to develop self-discipline, self-control, and then the last one necessary to run the race is, to, is self-denial. is self-denial. And this indeed may be the hardest one We live in a country that knows nothing about self-denial, only self-fulfillment. And sadly, that's infiltrated the the church to where it really is. What do I get out of it? Or what's in it for me? I'm grateful this isn't that place, but we're not not, uh, immune to that. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That is the singular most important order to discipleship. You must, number one, uh, you must deny yourself. You must be willing to suffer. The cross is an instrument of suffering, and you must be obedient. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, saying no to yourself, saying yes to suffering, and yes to a life of obedience. It might be the hardest part of warfare because uh, we are far more interested in self-interest than the interest of Christ and others, and that's not a cut on any of you. It's the reality of the warfare by which we, we fight. The second thing, if we're going to run this race, we not only must stay in shape, but we must remove hindrances. We must remove hindrances. Hebrews 12, one, two, 1 and 2 tells us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Paul does not say, I'm sorry, if it is Paul, it might be. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin. He says weight and sin, so they're not the same. We're not the same. A weight is something that holds you back. It's something that is an impediment To you. It's not sinful. But it may not be best. And if you're going to run the race. There may be some good things that you have in your life. That you may need to say no to. In order for the best thing. And that is to develop self-discipline. Self-control and self-denial. To run the race. And then finally. Under running the race. We must focus. Or keep our focus on the finish line. On the finish line. Do you know there were times when we were on deployment? Do you know what really ruled the day? Is you knew that there was a period it would be over. And we actually had a big calendar on the, on the cruise mess decks. Is it, it was a calendar that had the start day of deployment and it had the day that we returned to home port. And every day... Someone on the mess in the mess crew would scratch off the day, and it wasn't uncommon to hear someone you walk through the passageway said, "Hey, Master chief, only 165 to go." I mean, that's what we would do. We would remind ourselves it was ticking away. I was um, I was talking to Joy the other night, we were um, we were catching up on the news, and, and I was interested in just what ships were over there and what they were doing, and, and just and I thought, you know, because the, the the battle group that just came back, I think it was the Gerald Ford that she just returned back to her home port. She was extended at least three times on her deployment. You know how discouraging that is? I got, deploy- I got, ex- I got extended. You know, when we had, it was a long time ago. Uh, I, some of you remember when the Marine barracks in Lebanon was, was blown up. Over 200 Marines were, were killed. Uh, we were in Marseille, France, uh, doing a port visit. We had been... Um, We had been at sea for a long time, and we had pulled into Marseille for four days of just R&R, and we had tied up, and that thing happened, and we were only there for six hours, and we got the call, get underway, and go off the coast of Lebanon, and so we got most of the crew that we could that was still out in town, we left guys in in there and just took off, and we ended up going over there, and we we stayed off the coast of Lebanon, and we got extended uh, multiple times. We were supposed to... Leave the Mediterranean, come home, but they were saying you got to stay. You got to stay. So we stayed an extra thirty days. Then there was an extra, uh, another extra fifteen days. We didn't know when we were going to leave. How demoralizing uh, was that? You know why was it demoralizing? There was no finish line. There was no finish line. Paul says to the, in the Philippians, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. That's what keep, kept him running the race. Even fighting the good fight, he saw the goal. He says in the goal, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, that upward call of God in Christ Jesus, it has to include hearing from the Master, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so Paul, in the midst of all the struggles, he's in prison, you know, and he's looking there, he's saying, but I keep looking to the goal, I keep looking to the finish line, and if we're going to run the race, we have to do that, we have to keep looking to the finish, because it's so easy in the Christian life to get wrapped up into the now, in the pain of the now, and we forget the not yet, and you have to focus on the, on the not the now and the pain of the now. Um, Friends, I know you know this, but let me remind you, life this side of heaven is supposed to be hard. It really is. It's supposed to be hard. I, 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 want, I get look at myself, I think, why are you so surprised when it's hard? It's supposed to be hard. Is that we have a devil, we have a world, and we have our remaining flesh, and that it's never going to be easy. But do you know what causes us to look beyond the now? Is to focus on the not yet. And that's how you run the race. If I would have uh, realized that, that that marathon was eight laps instead of four, I might have finished next to last. I don't know. But the reality was, is I wasn't focused on the finish line. By the time there's fourth lap, I just wanted to breathe. And sometimes in the Christian life, you lose sight that this is a temporary place and that we are just running through, that we're fighting through. And finally, let's uh, wind this down. Finally, Paul would say, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. So if we're going to write a legacy for those observing us, from the most inner circle of our relationships to beyond, realize that you're in a fight. It requires a posture, a watchful posture of warfare, a defensive posture, an arm posture. Know that you are running a race you're running a very long race. you got to stay in shape. You stay in shape by self-discipline, by self-control, by self-denial. You have to remove hindrances, anything, even good things that would keep you from running it. You have to focus on the finish line or you'll lose sight of why you're even running. And then finally, you must keep the faith. Now, when it says keeping the faith, uh, the implication is, here is there must be an aggressive posture. Now, I said earlier, we are not to have an aggressive posture of warfare. That's true. But when it comes to keeping the faith, you have to have an aggressive posture. Because as as I said in the very beginning, your problems in your Christian life will not be uh, your sins of commission. It will be the passivity towards the sins of omission. It will be the things that you know to do that you're not doing. Passivity is the quick Passivity is a quick way to a lukewarm heart. Truth not acted upon always cools affections. Truth not acted on always cools the affection. So in the next uh, five minutes, let me give you three three, uh, um, headers under this one, keeping the faith. And remember, is that the Christian is always swimming upstream of culture. We are always swimming upstream of culture. That means that you don't stop swimming. If you do, what happens? You're swept down by culture. That means you're always pushing against. You're always, that's what faith does. Faith aggressively pushes against. It pushes against your flesh, it pushes against the world, it pushes against the devil. And the first thing, if we're going to keep the faith and write a legacy that is worthy, number one, maintain first love. Maintain first love. Jude 20, 21. But you, beloved, be building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. There is a personal responsibility that I have, that you have, to keep myself in the love of God. Now, that's not to say that you'll lose the love of God. But it's to keep that fervency of the love of God. It's to keep that, 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 that white-hot first love that the Ephesian church had lost. The scary part about the Ephesian church is I see that they, they could, we could be like them very easily. All the right things, right doctrine, right ministries, right this, right, 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 right. Yet Jesus says, all that's good, but it's not the main thing. And so it's very important that we understand that maintaining first love is the way to keep a very fervent um, life of faith pushing against. And why is that? Because when first love is inflamed in the heart of the Christian, there is an energy and there is a strength that you can't explain, but you know you have it. It's like joy. You You can't give me an accurate definition of joy, but you can sure tell me when you have it. And you, like the peace that passes all understanding, you can't give me an accurate definition of that peace, but you can tell me when you have it. And you know when you don't have it. And you know when you don't have joy. And yet, it's maintaining this first love. Jude would say, praying in the Holy Spirit... And I know the punctuation uh, um, is not inspired, but it is this keep yourself in the love of God. It is connected to praying in the Holy Spirit. So there's something about the prayer life in watchfulness, and there's something about the prayer life in maintaining first love. And it makes perfect sense, because first love is communing with Him who is our first love. That's why prayer, there's... um, You know, prayer is one of the the key ways that you can determine, you know, where you are spiritually. Prayer is one one of them. The quality of your speech is another one. So we must maintain first love if we're going to keep the faith. Secondly, um, uh, to keep the faith, there must be sustained obedience. Sustained obedience. Because what is faith? Faith is the word obeyed. Faith is trust that produces a life of action. Faith produces a, a life of, of of growing in the likeness of Jesus. And any growth in the Christian life is connected to our obedience. To keep the faith, we must develop the faith. And faith grows by use, which is obedience. If you don't exercise obedience, you will your muscles will, will, will grow flabby. You will not be in good spiritual condition. And so you must sustain, have sustained obedience if we're going to keep the faith. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then finally, finally, uh, if we're going to keep the faith and build a legacy, not only maintaining first love, um, sustaining obedience, but by staying on mission, staying on mission we want to leave, leave a legacy. If 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 my if if my funeral was tomorrow and and people are standing there talking about me, I want them to be able to say the things that we that Paul was said of him. I want of Paul. I want to be able to, to them to say, you know what? That was a gospel man. He cared about the lost, and he cared about the edification of the saints. And friends, every one of us are on a mission. Every one of us are on a mission is the work of the gospel in our homes and beyond. It is also the work of edification within the church. Paul would say this to the Ephesian elders, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Make sure as Christians we're not imbalanced. We have a gospel responsibility to the world and we have a gospel responsibility to the church. And I find that one of the great challenges I've had, I know I've been out of the Navy for a while now, but one of the great challenges what I miss about the Navy is I was immersed every day in the world of unbelievers. And it served as a real sharp deterrent against sin, but it also kept my heart tender to the lost because I was with the lost. Now it's intentional If I'm not engaging or building redemptive relationships, it doesn't happen. I could easily find myself retreated into nothing but Christian everything. And what that will do, that will cool my zeal for the lost. And so you must understand, to build a legacy, we're on a mission. Every one of us, the Great Commission and the Great Commandments is for all of us. And I understand we all have different gifting and different callings. We are, we are called to a mission of the church uh, within the sheep, and we're called to a mission to the lost who have yet to become his sheep. And your, your legacy, you want it to be inward-outward. You want you, you want you to be known that when you stand before the Lord and you stand or someone stands and talks about you... Wouldn't it be nice to have someone that got converted because of your witness that they observe, they come to your funeral and they stand there and say, I stand here today as a Christian because that man or that woman lived the gospel for me and loved my soul enough to tell me about the gospel. We're on a mission. And staying on mission is how we will keep the faith because that's why we're here. Uh, God didn't just save us and take us to heaven. He saved us and left us here so that others, others would hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the life of the Apostle Paul. And Lord, help us to understand that we truly are in a fight and that we're running a race and that we're called to keep the faith. And may those three things grip us with the power of their simplicity, but also overwhelm us with our lack of adequacy to fulfill those. That we'll find in you the sufficiency to do these very things, to fight the good fight to run the race, and to keep the faith. That will have impact on the generation that watches us, observes us. And that when our time of departure comes, uh, according to your timing and to your means, that we will have left a legacy worth emulating. That we will have left a legacy of being gospel men and women. And that we have run the race, we have fought the good fight, and we've kept the faith. Father, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you so much for your people. And Lord, may we think on the things we've heard today. May we think of, uh, uh, on each other and pray for each other. And we ask that you would bring us back the next opportunity to enjoy the fellowship of one another. In Jesus' name, amen.